Welcome to the Better Future podcast series brought to you by Driven by Design Award Programs. I'm Mark Bergen, the founder of Driven by Design, and joining me is... Kirsten Mann. I'm Global VP of Product Experience for Oracle's Construction and Engineering Global Business Unit. This podcast series is a special series where we focus on design in the boardroom. It's a series of infield recordings and live panels with design giants from around the world, and we discuss how boards are leveraging design to accelerate economic outcomes. In other words, how is design being managed up, down, and across the organisation? In this episode, Mark and Lee explore how designed experiences are helping to solve the needs of consumers, brands, and organisations. They wind up transversing a wide territory that demonstrates that culture is king when it comes to design-driven organizations. My name is Lea Mallet. Uh, so I'm, I'm a chief design officer at Agile Innovate. It's an um, innovation agency. We work as consultants for uh, large and small firms on different sectors, um, technical um, uh, innovation uh, Sorry, um, luxury. Sorry, we work, work on large and small firms. Mm-hmm. We work on large and smaller firms um, in different industries. I also work with luxury industries and uh, private clients. Okay. So you're working across three main domains that I see. You've got this chief design officer role, which is a strategic management role that's in there. You've also got that you've you've got this very technical role that's in there as far as the product design. And then sitting in the middle there, you're also involved in, in education. education. Yes, I teach in different schools. Uh, in um, schools, uh, business schools and engineering schools. So it's very interesting to see how different uh, students don't have exactly the same mindset and don't get the information the same way. Um, But the method is always the same, is that I teach them how to be more creative in a way that there are no bad ideas to give and they need to be a little little bit more free when they suggest something and uh, be aware that it's important to talk with people and not just be very very hypothetical and and create stuff in their own corner. So early on in the series, we were in New York and we were talking at the School of Visual Arts with Debbie Millman and also with Dan Famosa. And I think What's interesting with the Masters of Branding course that they have there is Dan picks up the role of of where does design fit in. And Dan's big thing is it's actually not so much the thing that you produce, but it's the questions that you asked on the way to the thing that you produced. And so I suppose that's interesting in, in the education there. Are we teaching people to be really artists, to produce artifacts, or are we teaching them to ask questions that may not actually result in any artifact but may come up with a very good insight or a very good thesis. But actually, I think it's <laughs> the whole thing is very artistic, but it's not only about asking the right questions, but, uh, but listening to the answers and knowing what to do with the answers because sometimes we ask people questions, we ask, the, we ask certain kind of people because we know what their answer will be. And the thing is to just ask the questions to a large panel of of people and be ready to have the answer that we don't want to hear back. Okay, so I want to take you into a scenario here where we're one of your very large clients and where we've decided that we need some of the specialities that you've got and you can bring to the organization. 
And we know that we want to step into tomorrow faster than we're currently going. So we're going to get you in to help us out with a whole of company workshops and we're trying to understand how do we get from being so comfortable with status next, as comfortable with status next as we are with the status quo. How would you begin to approach that? Is that something that you write a report? Is it something that you actively engage people? How do you take people from status quo to status next? Well, you need to know that it's never comfortable, actually. It's it, it actually business. So I, I start by telling the, by telling them it, that it's not going to be a comfortable exercise, and it's not going to. And they are going to hear some things that are not nice to hear because the first thing I do is that I. I tell them that I need to talk directly with their clients and understand what's happening right now because trying uh, starting to propose ideas or innovation or how to do business differently without talking to the actual clients and understanding what is the real problem and not what they think they, the real problem is, there's no point. So it's interesting. This this is the second um say design consultancy in Paris that I've spoken to today and the same concept has come out from both consultancies which is the clients being a little shocked that it that it's uncomfortable and and so that gives me an idea of where the market might be up to in the transformation cycle which indicates that there's still quite early days um, if I go think in some other markets that we operate in the idea that it's going to be uncomfortable uncomfortable is good you know it's a, yeah it's not very French <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly and and so so earlier this year I was here at the Paris Design Summit and the the talk that I spoke about was understanding what you leave behind so that you can move forward which is a very common principle behind any form of innovation is you have to know what to leave behind. But that hasn't been, well, since the French Revolution, it seems like you've been collecting more things. You haven't been working out what to leave behind as a nation. So there's a bit of inertia that has to be done to break some of those chains with the status quo and work out what status next is, reimagine things. It starts with the education, actually, from when you're very small, when you go to French schools, they, they teach you how to be right all the time. Like, um, um, how do we say Losing is not really a good thing. You cannot really crash your company or make a mistake. It's it's not well. It's not really accepted in the French culture, and this is what you see in the enterprises. So that's why they do not taking risks. And I have encountered some enterprises, for example, who have invested millions and millions of of euros in solutions, technical solutions, and other, and then put it on market, and it's a complete. Because uh, sometimes it's better to put it on market and let the market show it fails yes. than have it fail mid midway yes, through the process. because they were afraid to fail actually they failed so when you just come to the client and tell them wait that's really not the way how it works and in, instead of investing let me just tell you that you are already failing somewhere by doing that so so then that's a, that's a really interesting insight that it starts at a very young education age australia is similar to generally in australia the term fail means death yes you know, when you failed life, you die. Mm -hmm. Okay, you, and that's kind of 
it's done. Yeah, it's kind of it's the so, same thing in France. So the the thing that we do that we know when we start to walk is that we we don't fail at walking. We actually stumble. And for some reason, the American term of failing and failing fast doesn't translate into every other culture. And so I think the term stumble is probably something which is more comfortable for people, which is saying learn, stumble. That's how we learn to walk. But it's, it's like the, it's like the, the Lean Startup um, methodology where you t they tell you that you build and you measure and then you learn. So it's more about measuring than stumbling because when you try, when you take risks, you measure. If, and this is what, what we try to, to achieve with, with our companies is that how to measure. I know when I, when I was learning to walk, I was measuring all the time because <laughs> it was at what point did I have at not what, enough balance Yes. and the next time after I'd fallen over. You would over, know yeah. and you wouldn't do the same mistake. And, and so I suppose that stumbling is, it, it's the repetitive stumbling, isn't it? It's uh, continually doing it. So, so that's really interesting that we've, we've seen two design experts who have both used this term about the client feeling uncomfortable. And that also tells me that the culture from the, from the boardroom has not told the staff that the acceptable behavior in the future is the learning behavior and stumbling and failing. People are afraid. Yeah. People are afraid to try. And, and the other thing that I would like to say about the clients is that they are uncomfortable and they think that they know the client, which so many times actually they do not know. Oh, are you meaning client there as in Their the behavior, end customer? Yeah, the end okay. customer, the yep. user, the end customer, the buyer. They think they know perfectly what the end customer wants, but it's changing every day. And, it's, and what worked five years ago will not work uh, today or tomorrow or after tomorrow. So that's another, another thing too. So I'll, I'll give you a bit of insight into the most frightening statement that can happen for a company that's driven by design. Okay. It's when the CEO says, I think and I'd like to. Oh, never use the word I. Well, actually... You know, I don't of, care about what you think. A lot of CEOs actually use that language. Yeah. yeah. And they come in and they say, this is what I want to do. This is where we start, actually. This yeah. is where my work starts. And, and then you know it's going to be a disaster. Of course. Because you're doing something to please the CEO, something that's made for company, not something that's made for people. And my understanding of economics is that the customers have the dollars. The company tries to consume as few dollars as possible so that the investors have a large amount of dollars left after the company has done what it does. So the idea that you're making something for the company and you're ignoring the person who's got all the money, that just seems, that seems a little bit strange to me. So to me, it's a really basic idea that you make it for the customers, you do it as efficiently as possible, and then you get the maximum profit out. You know, I'm going to quote a, a, a very large French luxury industry uh, that is very known and a lot of tourists love it. Um, they say that they've been here for a few years already, and they tell you that they make products, but they never understood how it works <laughs> so the thing is that how can you bring change and innovation in a company that tells you but it works anyway so i was with a hotelier in in melbourne 
and she'd commissioned a designer to create some chairs for her um, function room. Okay. She runs over 240 weddings a year. So these are events anywhere from 10 to 500 people, Mm -hmm. different size weddings. And she asked the designer how he would work out what was the right shape chair for their customers. And the designer's response was, oh, I never care about the shape at the bottom. Oh, that's and a bad she, designer. <laughs> well, he was a learning I designer. Think. So yeah. on this brief, that somebody who isn't a designer. It's an artistic designer. Maybe, maybe. So this, uh, and, and I know him very well, so I can't <laughs> say who he is. Sorry. <laughs> but um, uh, so in this case, the designer learned how to do something that was human-centered, not his influence. So rather than being his artistic presentation of a, of a manufactured product, it now had some depth into the application or the unmet need. Those chairs are now still in the hotel. They get great customer feedback that the chairs were comfortable at their weddings where they used not get that. So she's extremely happy that she went and, and commissioned the chairs. The designer is very happy because now he has a chair that people actually want to sit in. Of course. And you could say that the whole economy has prospered because it was made for people. Of course. So I want to go back a little bit because in our pre- – oh, our listeners know that we have a pre-discussion. Yes. Otherwise we can't get to some good quality conversation. Yes. In our pre-discussion, listeners, I had probably one of the most robust conversations <laughs> and, and, it, and, it, and I was actually sitting there going, could this be the first podcast we don't actually get to go and do? <laughs> but what I realised was it was a couple of professionals that were so passionate about some of the frustrations that they see that we were both a bit excited about how do we actually try to convey to an audience how does design work in the boardroom how do you actually try to reshape the model so that people get better quality designed outcomes by using and, – and, and Lee, you came up with a term when in our pre-discussion that I absolutely love, which was a technical designer, which i got to tell you, I've been doing this for over 12 months. I've spoken to more people than I, than I really care for at the moment. I'm just I'm a little bit tired. I've spoken to a huge number of designers and nobody has come up with that term. So now we know the origins point of that term of the technical designer. We're going to put it here in Paris okay. and, we're going to, and we'll, we'll, we'll put it down to you. So we were talking there about the technical designers, the people who are actually on the tools, who have that masterful design and they've got their hands dirty in the design process, be that service design, UX, Graphic industrial design, product. graphics, architecture, interior. Yeah design but then above them is a is a management layer mm-hmm. above the management layer is a strategy layer and above the strategy layer is a direction layer and it's actually making sure that that entire stack of people understand that they're trying to do things which are made for people yes that they're trying to use the most proven reliable methodology to launch a product that meets the customer's need and returns profit to the company definitely so we're a bit short on, on 
the names of the different roles in those different layers because we're very good at talking about those traditional design roles mm -hmm. and we probably could name 50 other design roles of service design, system design. You, there was a term that uh, you brought up which was pedagogy design yes. around education. So we can name those things. But the rest of those layers are re reasonably hard to go give names to and identify and that's something that we're planning to try to address is how do we create a, a framework that gives a common language so people know at all of the different layers of how do you refer to design. I'm, I'm not sure there are so many layers, actually. And, don't you? No, I think that there are the different technical designers mm -hmm. and there's the visionaries, so people who have a large vision and the capacity to reunite the right people to work together. So is a product manager, are they part of that design stack? Product, no, because yeah, maybe it's a layer, and then maybe, okay. maybe it's so, a layer. So, okay. and, and, and so I'm not trying to catch you out here. Yeah. What I'm trying to do is actually just explore what are these different layers? Because I think product management is a fundamental design pursuit, but most people in product management think they're in product, not in design. Yeah, that's it. Because in France, pro I mean, it's, I'm just comparing to product managers, and in, in France, it's more like a someone who follows the the calendar of the project so he's not really a, uh, not really a designer actually okay so where i see in uh, in the united states and particularly with digital product managers that the product manager will be trying to understand what the market need is and how they're getting good a b testing results They'll be trying to go work out what the engineering challenges are because they've got tech debt or they've got um, problems on getting resources. They're then trying to work out what the marketing communications team are doing as far as messaging. And then they're also trying to work out what the experience is that people are having in there. And they're forever trying to balance these. But in the end, the pursuit that they're after is the quality of the human experience. So I think that's design. It's more than a pursuit. Pursuit, I think, it's like an obsession to to get to the best product that fits the market perfectly. I love your language because you've given me technical design, and now you've given me obsession. Because it is actually. I don't think you can do this job if you're not obsessed with the result. So, so I don't think that Steve Jobs would have done this the way he did if he wasn't obsessed with the results. So when we started the Driven by Design Awards, we actually we looked at courage being this moment between the person who commissions the project and somebody who creates the project. Mm -hmm. And that bound them together because they both had this courage moment. They had to trust each other. Yes. But now you've put this new word into my vocabulary I'm going to be exploring, <laughs> which is obsession. Because if I go think of the technical designers, they're obsessed. Of course. If I go think of the product managers... They're obsessed. And if I go think of the strategy people and the board, they're all obsessed. Yes, but it's all about being obsessed about the right thing, actually. Exactly. So having a good cultural balance where the Cultural values... balance and the same um, um, the, uh, but, the same and having the same um, objective. And, and I think that's if, where If we... everybody is obsessed with the same objective... Then it's or great. Or part of the same objective... Because, of course, the board will be uh, interested in making, for example, more money. But it cannot be made if the product doesn't meet the, doesn't meet the market. And that probably brings us then back to some of the other people we'd spoken to, like Nike, mm -hmm. New Balance, mm -hmm. Adidas. Mm -hmm. 
they're obsessed with the idea of having an active life. They're obsessed with the idea of people winning. They're obsessed with performance. And so that they're able to get this cultural thread, which is we are a performance brand and we're all obsessed with performance. So it would go from the, from the very top of the organisation down through every part of it so that they've got a very clear understanding. Performance is something they have to do. I see a lot of tech, or tech companies that seem to have mixed priorities. Um, if I go look at somebody like um, uh, Eventbrite, Mm-hmm. Eventbrite have a great ticketing platform. Yes. But the most important product that the Eventbrite had to go sell was the equity in the company, not the product for their customers. So maybe the experience on your website would have been better, actually. Well, so and, and uh, we've used Eventbrite for a number of years. Mm-hmm. But you would have to say that they actually were focusing on more on how do they actually get their IPO yes. than how do they go make a great tool. Yes, and um, I, I've realized something is that when some brands, especially I come back to the luxury industry because I work a lot in the luxury industry, um, I've realized that when people are mainly obsessed by the making a lot of money, they forget to care, to care about actually the clients. They do they they do not realize that the other brands are being innovative in a in a faster way they are doing stuff that are really good and especially what you see is that the inside the culture of the enterprise actually is also felt this way if everybody is just obsessed about just doing money everything will turn bad at a point the product itself will not be good at a point even though people are still buying it because there's the, the brand on it, but it will not be enough. At a point, it will not be enough. And people that work in the enterprise are not bonded. So I think that this is a, a red flag and, and something to take into consideration. If you have a design mindset in the board, this wouldn't happen. Because they'd, they'd be obsessed about doing things for their customers for the customers extracting and actually cannot do things yeah. the right way for the customers if internally it's not being done the good way also design is just it's not only about outside for the customer but it starts within the company so listeners i'm so pleased that lee and i actually have taken the time to go through this conversation because when we both started we didn't know where we'd wind up so. no we didn't so that's the recipe of an expedition you know you go and you say okay let's go somewhere and let's see where we get to but but what's really interesting is you've you've nailed something here about the obsession if the obsession is not going to be to the benefit of the end customer Mm-hmm. If it's counter to the end customer's needs, it's going to shine through. Of course. And so what we want to see is that the design in the boardroom is actually bringing those cultural values and a well-balanced set of desires and obsessions all the way through the organisation. But if it's not actually meeting the customer need, we'll eventually work that out and we'll understand it and therefore it's not going to be the success that everyone was hoping for. Yes, definitely. Leah, it has been such a pleasure having a conversation Thank with you. Thank you very much, Mark, for having me. It's been – look, I think this is going to be the first of several conversations we're going to go have. 
listeners, I'm I'm absolutely gobsmacked here because to to come up with new language is one of the things that we need to do around the design industry. Lee's pulled out a couple of gems for us, the technical designers and also the idea of obsession. Um, what a gift that we've got there. Thank, Thank you, you, Mark. Thank you.